0: Open to what is novel speaks of a willingness of becoming worthy of the event which requires us to affirm both the becoming of being and the being of becoming which is paramount since it makes organization and stability possible while maintaining the plasticity of the structures we depend on. The reactive mind fails to perform this double affirmation since it perceives antagonisms and separation as fundamental to difference, which in effect leaves it blind in the face of novelty. Whatever is novel, singular and rare, is nailed to a tree in series of deathly repetitions because its strangeness challenges the established order. This is the nature of scapegoating and the most common mode of articulation in political discourses. Julia Kristeva writes, strangely, the foreigner lives within us. He is the hidden face within our identity, the space that wrecks our abode. By recognizing him within ourselves, we are spared detesting him in himself. Affirming our difference, the becoming of our being, our strangeness within, opens up fields of virtuality, unseen possibilities and it liberates our minds to conceive a reality beyond the contours of what is. It puts us in motion, in process, and it allows for an apocalypticism that neither succumbed to defeatism nor totalitarianism, but one that is becoming worthy of events that holds within themselves the power to crack the stale surface of the strata and qualitatively transform the world as we know it.
1: Yeah, there there was actually a really interesting um, post that um, I I, um, follow today that actually was some thoughts from uh, Zizek actually about about the coronavirus, and one of the interesting things that he he brought up was Frederick Jameson's notion of the kind of utopian potential in apocalyptic and catastrophic films, which he said, you know, when you if so if you go and see a film like I don't know uh independence day you know that will smith movie or whatever you know you pick any of those particularly those kind of late 90s hollywood blockbuster uh, apocalyptic films you know um one of the the essence of the story was that they they gave kind of birth to a global solidarity and um people would put differences aside to work together and of course Jameson wasn't advocating catastrophe. He was basically sort of expressing sadness, that sometimes it takes catastrophe to get us to act like that. But Zizek's argument was that what we need at this moment, and and he he then ties this into um, kind of why we need communism, but not old communism, but but this idea that what we need is is a, a... a system wherein we all work together rather than independently to solve because as he actually notes and i thought it was really interesting he said the coronavirus is not the only thing we've had to deal with this year that's really on a sort of catastrophic level you know there's droughts there's fires um there's all this stuff that's going on and and i think um it's quite interesting this whole relationship between how and in what ways you frame a world to make it better, and, and, and I think one of the one of the things, you know, when we were hashing out our, well, it wasn't even really a hashing out. When we were gathering together and working out how we were going to present our, our kind of network and it, and its idea, one of the the key things that that we all expressed concern about to varying degrees was being very clear. That we were not aligning necessarily with progressives that's tied so innately to the becoming that you talk about. It's always about, you know the the next thing, but really it's perpetuation uh, of an idea, you know, modernity that ultimately um, never delivers. And so that's why we we kind of chose the the idea of novelty as a as a really, key sort of concept to work with because the novel is never a continuation but and it usually i think the novel is, is that kind of it's not a bridge because it's a, a i think a disruption but it but i think the novel at least in the philosophical sense understands the 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 need to move past the chaotic to frame and shape another way of 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 being, not just becoming. The
2: deadlock of, of the whole spectrum makes novelty something that people are blind to. If you if you are reactive in relation to someone and you shape your own identity in relation to that other, and you then build this narrative about how you wanna shape the world with that as your vantage point, you'll ultimately be limited by that whole negation that you begin with. When anything novel erupts, you don't see it, you don't notice it, because whatever is novel will then be sacrificed. I even make a kind of hint towards the cross there with the crucifixion of it. That's something that needs to happen because it's forward. It's something that threatens our understanding about how things work. And I was thinking, you know, last episode, we, we talked about Stuart Hall, the cultural theorist that you brought up, you read a quote. I'm, I'm going to read it again for the listeners. Different contradictions has different effects in the social world. And it's the tendency to reduce one to the other that is the theoretical problem, end quote. And I think this is what happens in politics because since they're locked towards each other on this spectrum, they can't see the novel And whatever they see is an interpretation that's limited by the deadlock, which emphasize why novelties should erupt and we need to be open to them. We need to be worthy of the event. That's a phrase from Deleuze, by the way. I think it's interesting how the left has a tendency to see the world through a lens created by their resistance towards capitalism in the 20th century. And so the solutions to the problem that arise today, they're twentieth century solutions to twentieth century problems, because what they see in the world through their twentieth century eyes are problems of the past, which makes them irrelevant in their analysis and their solutions will not gonna accomplish something. So they have a real difficult time there. Come to terms with the present moment, which is also something I think, you know, the opening that I read puts you if you do this double affirmation affirmation of the being of becoming and the becoming of being it situates you in process but it also situates you in the present so you're not tied to the past
1: yeah i mean god there's a lot in there i I was thinking why you were i mean a a more naive example i i I think outside the realm of of politics and, and in the world of theology uh, as an example, is, is that, that kind of whole um, movement of apologetics in Western Christian theology in the late 20th century that presumed everybody everywhere needed arguments to prove the existence of God, um, because the, the lens through which people were looking at the world was through the Western lens of, you know, the the, the post-theistic, you know, scientific rationalism world of... of Western Enlightenment culture, and, and then would you know travel around the world telling people you know oh no you know you got, let me prove to you that God's still alive, and half the world is going well yeah because it's never been dead in our it, it's never been dead in our, our world. I know that's a kind of a slightly naive um, assessment, but but I think this this attitude of looking at things from uh, a past position.
2: This is why someone like Jeremy Corbyn or Bernie Sanders, to me, are as relevant as Dawkins is on Twitter.
1: Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, and the other thing I want to add to that is, is I think there's an assumption that we're still dealing with the same uh, left-right equation that we've always been dealing with, and we're not anymore. You know, I mean, that, that you know, I mean... They talk about Bernie Sanders uh, uh, in America, in you know, using it as a pejorative, uh, as a socialist or at least a social democrat. Well, I mean, on one level, I I, I don't think he's really a a, a a pure socialist in 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 its essential form, and social democrat, yeah, maybe I don't know, but my point is is those goalposts have moved a lot closer together, and it's really a sort of centre right and a centre left. And then you you have this kind of radical thing that tries to come in that I think is trying to assert and affirm, as you said, um, old interpretations of ideas that addressed challenges and problems from a different time and a different era. And if there's any message uh, of our time, <laughs> it's that we're living in a different era. We're living in a different yeah. world. And, and whatever realm you're you're in, the old answers for the most part don't suffice, but that doesn't mean you just have to keep make, keep chaos going. <laughs> it means yeah. you, have, you have to discover what the novel is and uh work out that um relationship i think between um you know how how you frame frame the present
2: I think what you said about Cjeek is interesting as well though given you know, Corona times and and stuff like that, because, I mean, his version of what communism is, is something that a lot of people not calling themselves communists could subscribe to. He says it has nothing to do with the 20th century and all the failures. What he means by communism is that we need to acknowledge that we have problems of commons, problems that are now global and that can only be solved on a global scale.
3: The problems that we are confronting today, we can list them in different ways, but my point is they are all problems of commons. For example, ecology, it's clearly a problem of commons. Nature, our natural environment, is our commons, something which shouldn't be privatized because it belongs to all of us, it's, as it were, the background literally the ground of our being and it's clear for me that here we need to uh, we need to reinvent not local democracy but on the contrary also large-scale solutions the problem today is not local local communitarian democracy the problem today is how regulate trends worldwide
1: it was interesting. In this article, he basically, one, one of the things that he said, and, and I'm just sort of quoting the things that, that I remember, but, but one of the things that he said was, he said, for instance, he said, the World, the World um, Health Organization ha- has addressed very specifically the the challenges of this, this problem. You know, it hasn't pulled any punches on that, but he um, it's better to sort of listen to uh, them than uh, because they've, they've, begi- they've given precise warnings and better to listen to their precise warnings and their recommendations collectively than just simply do your own thing against what everybody else is doing. I, I think you're right. What, what I think is quite fascinating um, about Zizek is the way in which he keeps arguing for uh, 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 an understanding of communism that is not linked even though <laughs> every other word out of his mouth is, is um, marxist dialectic he's not telling us that we need to go back to 19th century marxism
2: the podcast is called techno theology What is technology, Barry?
1: Well, I mean, I I, I think the immediate assumption that is made is that technology are the devices that we use today, particularly digital technologies, to engage with the world around us. But my take on technology is much broader Than that, I mean, I I think the the root of of the word technology goes all the way back to the Greeks and and techné, which is incorporates both art and artifice. You know, it's about things that you make, that you bring forth, that you reveal, and that you use to um, further expand the. The, the reach of what it means to be to be human. So, arguably, um, uh, maybe everything. Fire is a technology. Language is a technology. Um, transport is a technology. Computers, yeah, technology. But furniture is a, a technology in a sense because yeah. it allows us to uh, accomplish and achieve certain things that uh, make not only for, for comfort and, uh, and beauty and, uh, and stuff like that, but, but they also generate and create uh, um, and bring forth stuff about what it means to be uh, human. So for, for me, w- when we're talking about technology, it's a very broad thing. And, and I think one of the seminal technologies, if you like, uh, is the, the technology of language. That how we how and in what way we speak because if you think about it, that's really where we bring forth and we reveal. You know, so when we when we speak, um, we make, we create, we bring forth, we reveal, yeah. we make art with words. So it, it, I think it encompasses all of what um, I think we could do well with the Greeks if we said you know that, that we think um, language is you know adheres to your definition of techné. It's the stuff that makes us and that we make, <laughs> we make ourselves with as well.
2: Marshall McLuhan, thinking that the medium is the message and you know how we create and then are created in return. And I think very important when it comes to theology, because in this sense, theology is also a technology. Before we get there, I wanted to ask, because last time we talked, you brought up different modes of articulation. I was thinking about technology as a kind of articulation that you talk about reveal or unveil. And so we express ourselves or articulate ourselves both in the creation of technology and our use of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I, I think that, um, you know, as humans, we, we, we sort of use and, and we favor particular and specific technologies to to kind of um make us who we are to to realize our uh, to sort of come into existence you know to express what we we care about and stuff like that so two groups of people can employ the hammer in two entirely different two entirely different ways and their modes of application that have very different outcomes for how we understand what it means to be human and i think you also reach a point where you have to kind of re-articulate those those kind of technologies as well.
2: If theology is a technology, it's a creative process to be a theologian, or it's a creative endeavor. And so we create this theology, and then the theology creates us back. So we shape our behavior, and we even turn our theology into rites that kind of molds us into a certain type of behavior,
1: we all become, to a degree, we all maybe not maybe slaves is too extreme of a word, but we all become servants of our ideological constructs, and never more so than than in the the realm of uh, theology, where the theological ideas that that we hold also mold us uh, into particular kinds of of. Uh, human beings. I mean, we we argue from within that it's making us into the image of God, but I think that's a bit of a stretch unless God's (laughs) sort of angry, uptight, pissed off, judgmental uh, culture phobe. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean that. There's some really lovely Christians. You know, I'm a big fan of Adam Phillips, the Psychoanalyst and, and and writer and and he he said that um, he reads psychoanalysis as poetry, so he doesn't have to worry about whether it's true or, or, or useful, but only whether it intrigues him or amuses him or haunts him, um, and uh, and whether or not it's something that he can't help but be interested in, and I and I and I think the 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 reason I say that is because because that's his approach to psychoanalysis, because he reads Freud and others that way. So he doesn't read, so he doesn't see uh, psychoanalytic writing as a scientific endeavor, or even necessarily um, a medicinal endeavor, but as a poetic endeavor. The modes of articulation that he employs in speaking about psychoanalysis open up novel ways of thinking not only about what psychoanalysis is but what psychoanalysis might be for somebody
2: yeah it's the function it's the function of psychoanalysis
1: in, in a sense but it's also you know if it, it, so it's like if and, and 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 so um if if you think about reading theology or, or or if you like to go more blunt sort of reading scripture and you read it as poetry and i'm not talking about um theopoetics because theopoetics is a product of uh, of a particular theological you know it's connected yeah. to pro theology and stuff like that i'm not talking about trying to develop a theo poetics uh, but i am talking about a sort of uh po- poetic read of of theology and if you like of uh even scripture or the gospels or, or whatever you want that's going to give you a very different mode of articulation when it comes to um how you speak about what you find there because it's very you know if you, if, if so again if you take a a, a lead from um phillips and I, and I think it holds up if you discover Something that haunts you in something that you read. Um, there's no mention when he when he when he says that really uh, uh, of necessarily instructing him. You know what I mean? Though those yeah. things get left out in his because those tend to be more sort of scientific and, and logical approach, prosaic reads, and a poetic read of something. Is a very different mode of uh, of of articulation, and it's interesting to me um, in sort of looking around the the world of writing and literature today how how much there there is a sense in which we need to recover the the poetic, not necessarily poetry, but but the poetic, in order to to work our way towards new modes of articulation.
2: I think theopoetics is a reaction to a more stale type of religion. I don't think it is an unhealthy reaction. I think, on the other hand, that it's not something that you should stand on alone. You know, that, okay, so let's abandon theology and then just do this new thing called theopoetics because it's much more fluid. Uh, It's almost just poetry because as soon as there's this higher organizing Principle, it needs to be deconstructed, and the deconstruction is then turned into the main narrative. And I think this is what uh, postmodernism has gone astray in the latter part of, of the 20th century, because postmodernism was a valid critique of modernism. Post World War II, of course, you get all these French intellectuals challenging the ideas they saw led to these wars which was a valid critique but over the years it turned into its own main narrative Postmodernism, in that sense turned suicidal because ultimately if it's successful in de- deconstructing whatever it latches onto it got nothing left and it has nothing of its own to organize with Theos is still important and logos is still important, but with the opening that I read today, I think with that as your vantage point, Deleuze talks about this as laying out the plane of imminence as well, right? You cannot start with these divisions in place because they're going to be there. You need the plane of imminence. And then you see philosophy as a construct of concepts. And in theology, you have also, of course, then the concept of God. And God is the main organizing principle, perhaps. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, and and, and I think it, it, to some degree, um, therein lies therein lies the challenge and the problem is is how you how you um, draw that together and what you how you would actually even define define that that statement and and i think that gets it really in, in, in some ways um why i think theopoetics while there's a lot to admire in it has a little bit of a um has a bit a bit of work to do because it's still trading in some concepts i think i i don't know maybe maybe i'm not articulating that very well speaking of articulation but um it's very hard, you know, this this whole notion of how you, um, what you do with God. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's big, you know, I, I, I've been doing this um, series um, that I called Working Around God. And basically, it, it was a it was a play a play on words because part of it is you know working around, as in going around God and not having to deal with the concept of God, and the other is you know working around that, so you're constantly around this concept that you can't define yeah. or name or or you want to rename, but you don't know how to articulate it um, yet, or if you even need to, or if you want to, or if you even believe in it anymore, if you want you know so is it a big other is it a nothingness is it a void is it an absence is it a lack is it fulfillment is it you know wholeness is it you know what you know there are all these all these things all hovering around and and i think much of it is um much of it is like many other things today um an attempt to apply olden notions to newer challenges and problems because i think even again theopoetics emerged in the 70s right and and it was kind of in that sort of first major wave after counterculture jesus and stuff and you, you know you you kind of had the the beginning of the splitting of theology away from you know foundationalism and you start to get narrative theology and and uh process theology and all those other different theological constructs and and uh you know you throw in a little bit of philosophy you know postmodern philosophy of course and uh and you you have this this new grid to work from and and a good grid i mean i i i think the idea of moving away from a sort of more physics based notion of god is not not a bad thing to do but you're still trading in an assumption about this concept of God.
2: God has a tendency, as in the Christian story, to resurrect when people kill him or try to take the name away. So even in, in, I mean, secularism, you have all these uh, ways of trying to organize and conceptualize after God. And it ultimately ends up with these... Other words that means something quite similar. Something that was attributes of God are now ideals to live by. And they're abstract and otherworldly still. The reaction against both theological notions and also modernism that came with, with postmodernity was was valid critiques. I mentioned my, my critique there against postmodernity when it or postmodernism when it's turned into its own main narrative the issue I see and I've written about it is that with the emergence of the internet and the developments that we've seen in the past decades what postmodern philosophers were trying to accomplish has been accomplished with other means I talked about this and mentioning Nietzsche's phrase when he says that we got rid of God but we still believe in grammar. There was this underlying grammar that we still lived by and that the internet has moved us beyond that, so there is no longer this common grammar which expresses itself in, in that we can't speak to one another in proper language anymore, we don't understand each other, we live by different modes of articulation And we've always been doing that, but we also had something holding us together that we've been able to relate to. Losing that, being more decentralized and pluralized and in a global world, we are looking for something. I think perhaps this is also why it's easy for strong leaders to emerge because people are feeling dizzy and lost. And they just want something to hold on to in this world of chaos, rather than creating something new, which is badly needed, something that could help us to navigate in this world. They take whatever comes their way.
1: Well, before we sort of started, I was telling you about another essay that I read from, from Zizek, where he sort of says, people don't want revolution. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> they have a strong authoritarian voice to give them at least the illusion of 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 um of what they of what they want. And one of the mistakes Zizek argues that the left makes is trying to mobilize a revolutionary movement. Um, it doesn't doesn't work um, in, in especially in the climate in which we live. And and I think I mean this is both the reason we wanted to start. European Radical Theology Network but also the the way in which we sort of are trying to frame these podcast conversations is because things there there are things and, and and we're operating on assumptions that if we look a little closer we we would see very clearly they're just not working and they're not the answer so again without being too harsh on it you know like progressive Christianity is not the answer to, uh, it, it, it's not a it's not progressive enough and, and B progress isn't the path the, the path to take to accomplish the, the change you just won't you, won't you won't get there but instead of like going resorting then to an old school um, illusory answer what you need is to find the new mode of um, articulation you know, I love that um, book, isn't it Catherine Malibu that wrote that book, The Ontology of the Accidents? Probably. And she sort of addresses, you know, um, that in the 21st century, um, the notion of an accident is a very, very different, uh, is a very different thing because, you know, you have uh, financial collapses and ecological um chaos and 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 uh technological catastrophes and all this kind of stuff and all this are articulations of accidents that we've never conceived or 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 had to deal with before and it requires a, a a reframing of um the the way in which we talk about these things you know
0: thank you for listening don't forget to follow us on Instagram and on Twitter and if you want to help us out please share the podcast to let other people know we're out there, thank you have a good day (laughs) The big, 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 the
3: big, the 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 big, the